and we're live. All right. I don't know what's up with Google Hangouts today. A few issues. That's all right. We have an awesome guest with us today. My name is Nikki Acosta. I am the co-host and today solo host of Cloud Unfiltered, where we talk all things cloud. And I've got a great guest today, someone that I've known for a long time, part of the OG Clouderati, digital provocateur, entrepreneur, startup guy, AI nerd. You know, I don't know. There's like this never ending list. Author, you write for a bunch of publications, but Rue. Uh, I guess I kind of introduced you. Introduce yeah, yourself. <laughs> well, thanks. It's it's like uh, having like a boxing promoter introduce me. Oh, and and OG Clouderati. I think that's the name of my next rap group. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your Twitter stream this morning because I was like, man, I don't know what Ruse been up to. I need to like do a little homework. And I had no idea that you were a digital artist, also. You know, a long time ago, I just I discovered that there was a lot more money in in developing software than there was in creating art. And uh, ah. yeah, so yeah, my back in my first job back in the '90s, I was a graphic artist, and back when designing CD-ROMs was a thing. And uh, yeah, so I, I like doing it now. I just do it mostly for the Instagram sort of thing, but yeah, it's it's a fun hobby. I'm so I was, out of the loop on all that. My sister was like, "Do you have a copy of CS6 for a Mac?" And I'm like, "Isn't it all cloud-based now? Like, can you even is. do that?" And she's it's like, all. "Well." She's like, I'm running Sierra. Uh, can you get me one for Sierra? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny because it's all well, it's sort of cloud based. There, the Cloud Crave Suite is like this thing you download and kind of it's super awesome. Yeah, it's super awesome. But I I have not kept up on my skills. So every time I log in, there's like new stuff, and I'm like, what is that? And then I'm I, like googling stuff. I've been on a I I've been on an After Effects kick where I can do these sort of weird video 3D things. But to be honest, the coolest stuff is all on your phone now, anyway. Yeah, like what? Well, a lot of the little videos and graphics and things I do, I just I have uh, an iPad Pro and a little pen, and I just kind of doodle and create these sort of crazy little graphics. You know, it's, it's all on my iPad. Do you love your iPad Pro? Yeah, it's good. It's good if you want to do graphics. You know, it's got the best apps for that kind of thing. You know, all the little videos, that kind of stuff. Cool. So we we got off track a little bit. That's okay. Uh, but we typically like to start these podcasts uh, by asking how you got to be where you are. And I I say where you are because I don't feel like that's a current destination. Like you're doing so much all the time. But how did you get into tech to begin with? Well, that's a long, long. So I, I was born at the right moment, you know. So when when I was graduating high school, the internet had just basically became a thing, you know, 1994. And essentially, you know, I, I was looking at what I was going to do with my life, and, and everyone else was like, had no idea. And I determined that being a freelance web developer was the thing. You know, it, it allowed me to be creative and allowed me to do something that no one else could do. And it turned out the timing was absolutely perfect. So I, I quickly started doing these web development gigs, basically these kind of fancy websites back in the 90s, which when I say fancy, the, the bar was pretty low. So my, my specialty was something called DHTML, which was basically using JavaScript to sort of make the web pages animated, essentially. And that became a thing. And uh, so I started traveling around as like an 18-year-old to different you know, places all around the world and, and doing websites. And that, that started to be a thing. My, and I had an option at that point to go to university or college or whatever. And so I took that money and started my first company, which was a horrible idea, I might add. But anyway, the first company was, was to do video streaming technologies in 1998. 
And essentially, the average person had like a 28 baud modem. You know, we had trouble with the uh, with this earlier. Imagine doing that on a dial-up modem. Needless to say, it wasn't the best idea. Well, it was a good idea just about 10 years too soon. You know, it was probably 12 years before YouTube even existed. So, you know, a little too early. And um, that led to a whole bunch of crazy projects, including stuff for like Napster and others. And ultimately, uh, we did a bunch of work in the video uh, streaming department for like corporate financial companies, all of which exi existed in one building in New York. And that building went down. We went bankrupt. I picked up a book on how to program for Linux. That's uh, that brings me to the starting of my company, which uh, was the one that actually well not not bankrupted me, which was a company called Anomaly, started in two thousand three to essentially opt optimize the deployment of open source technologies around virtualization. We gave it a fancy name: Elastic Cloud Computing Infrastructure, <laughs> circa two thousand three. And everyone said, you're, you're crazy. That's, that's insane. You know, one, no one really got virtualization. So, you know, trying to pitch a virtualized environment, you know, when nobody really even got really like an automated regular environment was a bit early. So it, it took a while and, and people start coming around to it. Being open source always helps because, you know, people start, other interested people start to use it. And we pretty much rode the wave ever since. Man, what a great wave to catch. Yeah. I, uh, when I was in college, I was a field producer for MTV's Loveline with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. Do you remember that show? You know what? One of my first website projects when I was doing the video stuff was for an MTV project called SonicNet. And uh, it was like, uh, I guess one of the first kind of video, no, sorry, radio, I should say, sort of Spotify-esque kind of websites. That's super cool. They, so they sent me a video phone. Uh, and it plugged into the phone jack in the wall. And my job was to recruit people from the UT Austin campus to come on and be guests. Nice. So I set up like a little studio, but I, I'm just thinking about how archaic that seems at this point. I mean, it was a, a big phone that had a little screen in it and it like the resolution was horrible. It was super terrible. Like there were always challenges with sound and video coming through. And, and I guess they expected it on the show because on the show it's like all the videos look like that. But uh, that was my sort of first kind of foray into uh, digital media. And now, you know, I can have my, my kid, I'll pick up my phone and call my mom and video chat with her. It's just, it's crazy that it's happened yeah. in a short amount of time. You, you know, while we're reminiscing, you know, I, I was just thinking the other day about the first time I had a smartphone or something like it. And back in 2001, I, I bought this device called the uh, Compact iPack. And it, it basically looked like an iPhone. And I, and I was sitting on the on the subway in, in Manhattan, you know, playing with this thing. And this this woman next to me says, "What what is that thing?" Oh, and I'm like, it, "It's my iPack." And, and it turns out it's surrogate Jessica Parker. No on, kidding. Yeah, seriously. And so so, so I you know I, I met her for about five seconds on a subway because of this little device. But did you know who she was right away? So like well, you could Google her. You know, back then, <laughs> I, I think I think she was hot for, on that show. You know, Sex in the City. So yeah, everyone knew who she was at the time. That's so funny. Right, in the subway probably doesn't do that. I don't know. Does she do that now? Good for her. I don't know. She she did back then. So uh, I was watching your your. Uh, I was checking out your stream and something interesting happened to you last week. And we were talking about this just for a second before the show started. I said, save it because I want to talk about it on the podcast. But uh, I think it's a pretty interesting 
thing. Do you want to talk about what happened at DockerCon? You know, I, 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 what I'm going to say isn't meant to like beat on Docker. You know, they're, they're, they're startup, startups make mistakes, but this was a big mistake and it ended up being a big deal. So, you know, I, as you know, I, I like to sort of broadcast wherever I go, sort of, you know, show the world what, what I'm doing, talk to interesting people, kind of like what you're doing right here. So I do that at a lot of tech conferences. Uh, and, and I was at DockerCon doing pretty much the exact same thing. And uh, one of their uh, more junior people, I guess, now, now that I know this, the background, came up and basically shut me down, said, you can't broadcast. You don't have broadcast authorization. I'm thinking, what is that? Like the FCC or something? I need to go and get, get like, you know, authorization. But anyway, she said, she said, nope, you, you can't broadcast. And like, well, can you make an exception? Those guys that were there are, are broadcasting. It's like, no, we, no, no broadcasting for you. I'm like, uh, okay. And being that I like to tweet, uh, you know, I, I, I tweeted that I've been shut down by the social media police. And, uh, you know, Alex Williams over at the new stack, you know, sort of, you know, came to my sort of support and retweeted, at which point, um, you know, the, the folks at Dell EMC saw the, the, the tweet and, you know, and then retweeted it. And then the story goes that, you know, they went over to, to the Dell EMC guys and said, hey, can you remove that tweet? Not, not cool to be promoting that kind of stuff. And they basically said, no, you know, and then we can do better. We, we can actually, you know, take all our funding as well, which is like, you know, Dell EMC being pretty much the biggest tech firm on the planet at this point, you know, that's, that's, I don't think, I don't think it met the threat, but still it was, it, it's, it's the A-bomb of threats, if you know what I mean. At which point I felt, you know, it became a kind of an interesting story, but it, it hadn't blown up quite so big yet. So I went onto my uh, Facebook page and I like to share sort of anecdotes of my various, you know, exploits and things that I do around the world. And so I wrote, I wrote basically what I just told you in the form of a Facebook post, which at, the, at which point uh, I think Ben Keeps uh, did a screenshot, posted it on his Twitter, and then, it, then the thing exploded and people all over started tweeting it and it became kind of a, you know, 15 minutes of, of controversy. And, and that's so interesting because I feel like uh, I'd never experienced that at a conference before, but you know, I, I was watching uh, an interview with Dave Chappelle and he was talking about how, you know, he doesn't want people live casting his performance because it kind of ruins the jokes for everyone else who might pay for a ticket, you know, later on down on his schedule. But as far as like a personal, you know, device capturing like a Periscope or, you know, yeah. a Snapchat or something. I've never heard of that before. And I, in fact, I went over to the, uh, the DockerCon code of conduct and I didn't see anything that would prohibit anybody from kind of casually opening their phone and, and doing an interview or something of the likes. And so I'm, I'm wondering now, like, is this, is this something that we're going to start to see at conferences? Like, what is the, what is the risk to, conferences maybe i could understand if it was like a live talk or something like that but as far as like being on a show floor in a convention center in whatever city you're in i wouldn't ever think that you know popping open your phone and doing a live periscope would be something that would be you know punishable with the threat of getting kicked out or whatever yeah, seriously. um you know one these tech conferences are kind of boring like let's, let's be honest the show floor isn't exactly a hotbed of entertainment so one, I, I do it for something to do because it's otherwise I'm just standing around and having the same old conversations. Two, it's a reason for people to come to me and, and it's a way for me to meet other interesting people. So, you know, it, it and, and three, you want to promote the things that are happening. If you're a conference, why wouldn't you want someone to go out and say, hey, I'm at ABC conference doing some cool stuff. There's no, there's not really much downside to it unless you 
purposely do something to make it, you know, negative. Um, so I, I think that you know a lot of these companies, a lot of conferences, they, they spend a lot of time in what they describe as influencer marketing, and they want to invite these types of people. You know, people who have a, a, a targeted audience for one reason or another. They don't have to be the you know the Kardashians of the world, but you know. My, I've got a pretty geeky audience. It's not the hugest audience, but it's also not the smallest either. So it, it, it's a mutually beneficial type of thing. At least I think it is. So shutting someone like me down just doesn't make any sense. I, I love uh, that you don't live uh, down your digital provocateur uh, <laughs> name. I mean, good night. I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to make you mad at a conference. I'm just well, saying, I, I, like, I, as I, an I, organizer, I'd be like, hey, you know, like, I wasn't trying to be, a, you know, like that. You know, I, 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 I'm not a sociopath. I do have, I know, I have feelings, and the other people have feelings. People are affected by the things I say. I get it. You know, I'm not trying to go to my way to make people's lives difficult. Um, but when a story appears on a silver platter, I, I, I just can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you living these days, Ruth? You know, I, well, I was in Toronto for a while, or sorry, I was in Seattle for a while. Now I'm back in Toronto. Um, you know, I'm Canadian. So turns out being a Canadian in the U.S. wasn't as uh, streamlined a process as I would have hoped. So here I am back in Canada, but uh, you know I'm all over the place. The, the company I'm I'm working with is in San Jose. So we're... tell me the name of that company again, because I kept typing it wrong. Yeah, I know it's funny. It's it's called Apparetto. It's it's a startup. We've been we're, we're like the world's worst stealth company. We we I think we were technically still in stealth until someone tells us otherwise. But we, we've been, you know, I've been heavily promoting the thing. So I guess stealth is, is one of those terms that probably means not too much at this point. We, we focus on securing uh, container technologies, specifically around K Kubernetes and things like that. So let's talk about uh, just cloud and containers and all of that, because, you know, obviously you've been involved early on as a, you know, a clouderati, an OG clouderati. You've been, you've been living in this cloud world for a really long time. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me because I've seen, you know, some people just kind of hit the ground, embrace crowd, uh, cloud and start running. But then I'm also seeing, you know, companies that are just now getting around to embracing cloud. Meanwhile, you know, a bunch of other people are off to the races doing containers. Tim Crawford says, you know, we need to take a break because, people just can't stay up to date with what's happening in tech. But what are your thoughts on, on cloud? You've seen OpenStack, AWS, there's Google and Azure now, there's you know all kinds of container technologies. What are your thoughts on the state of, of the union for, for cloud in general? Well, we're on the third generation of cloud. We think about it. So when you know the, the early days when we first started, it was essentially you know an, an API on top of some hyper you know hypervisor and virtualization and doing that through the means of you know some scripted automation. And then the next generation, we we saw sort of the emergence of sort of containerization and being able to sort of quickly spawn you know applications in a sort of fast flux. You know, I need I need machines for a small period of time, and I don't need them to last more than you know a minute or two, rather than days or, or weeks. And now we're we're going into third generation, where we see things like you know serverless architectures, where it's event driven. Things last for seconds. You know, under, underneath it, it might be a container, but ultimately that's all sort of obscured from view. So you're right. You're an enterprise saying, "What the heck is cloud?" It's three things at this point, right? And it's it's evolving so quickly that they hadn't even gotten their mind around the first generation of cloud before the second and third took off. Sure. And, and as far as, you know, containerization goes, you know, I, I don't, I, 
I think there's still a lot of folks who kind of struggle with that. And now we're talking about serverless architecture. You know, what what are the benefits of having containers and serverless architecture? You know, for for folks who are may, might be new to this sort of third or fourth concept of of cloud or of what of what's yet to come. What are the what are sort of the tangible benefits of moving to containers and serverless architectures? Well, it's it's speed for one. You know, the there the challenge with you know a traditional sort of VM centric approach is the, the time it took to deploy and manage that was was longer. It wasn't it wasn't hugely long. It wasn't like deploying a, a physical server, but a lot of the the sort of architectures around microservices are and, and serverless are about events. Something happens and I respond to it immediately with a series of containers that do something. But the, the things that they need to do don't happen very long. They don't need to exist very long. So when you're spawning something, I, I have a sudden workload that needs to be analyzed, or I've got a sudden spike in something or other. I, I need a thousand containers for two minutes. That's that's the approach. And when you're spawning a thousand machines, a thousand VMs, you know it it could take you five minutes to spawn, uh, if not longer, if you're lucky. By the time five minutes has passed, that job is done and gone and dead in a microservices architecture. And so containers don't have that sort of you know you know are better at short lifecycle type applications. And and who's who's using containers successfully at this point? You know, there, there's a lot of focus on what I think we were calling a couple of years ago, you know, composable architectures. Um, you know, still the, the companies that are doing best are still the biggest, funny enough, you know, like the, the Googles of the world and the, the, the Netflix and Amazon uses this within almost all the applications that they, they build and deploy, you know, for their new services. So they kind of practice what they preach within that. So, you know, unfortunately, the best examples of these applications are in terms of at scale are probably the biggest companies. Which is ironic. The the other companies that you're seeing use these types of architectures are the the companies that are emerging in the AI space. Companies that are using sort of advanced intelligence, these kind of black boxes of intelligence that'll do things like neural nets, and and understand things that are almost un, un understandable to humans, which is another challenge. But they're they're using these types of applications as well to sort of save money because they take huge amounts of compute, but need to do some things very quickly. And, and I've read uh, some of the things that you've written lately, specifically around uh, AI and just how how the uh, the threshold of of uh, influence that these AI driven applications have over your life without you even knowing about it, how scary that is. You well, think people realize it at this point? Well, you know, the probably the best early example of that it would be like credit card and credit card fraud, right? It knew that you were sp you know spending outside of your normal spending habits. It it would call you and say, you know, do do you want to? Are you sure you're you're in you know some foreign country doing this transaction? Well, no, I'm not. I'm 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 at home. Now the 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 scary part is you can apply that basic idea to just about anything. Like you could do psychological analysis. Hey, let's. Let's look at the people most likely to buy or not buy or do other things like that. So, you know, one of the I think one of the scariest things in terms of politics and how this is used is in the use of apathy. So it's not getting people to do something, it's getting people to do nothing that has the greatest effect. And if you look at like, you know, political movements, now it's like you if you can convince a small segment that the the person that they were most likely to vote for is not worth voting for. It means they're not going to vote for the other guy, but they're not going to vote for that other person either, which means that's just enough to push that other person into a win. Which is super scary. 
Yeah, it's terrifying, terrifying. right? Terrifying. Yeah, it's apathy as a weapon. You know? Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting too when you when you talk about just all the sort of dynamics that are happening in the world. I guess being Canadian, you probably have a slightly different uh, maybe take on it because Justin Trudeau is super awesome. <laughs> uh, but I I, uh, I like you took a lot of interest in that Cambridge Analytica company. I thought it was super fascinating that they were able to micro target and, and be able to just tell uh, kind of what you, what your habits were based on the pages that you've liked. Yep. Um, that's, that's scary. There's, there's also, you know, if you look at sort of what's happening with social media, Twitter, Facebook, things like that, and the ability to manipulate those algorithms, it's and and to your benefit as a as a social media, you know, let's say influencer for back a better term, it's crazy. So, for example, I, I'm interested in this type of stuff. So, I, I did a test, uh, basically responding to Donald Trump tweets with just like stupid pictures and stuff to see what responses I would get. And what, what the takeaway was, was this, if I could respond, you know, with just like a picture of something stupid to a Donald Trump tweet within the first 30 seconds, I could get four or 500,000 views. If I waited, you know, a minute, it would go down to about a hundred thousand, which is still good. If I waited five minutes, it would go down to about 20,000. If I waited 10, basically nothing. Interesting. So yeah, there's like this velocity associated with these algorithms, right? So speed, it's almost like if you look at financial trading, you know, the speed in which you can do a trade directly, you know, relates to how much money you can make and stuff like that. The same thing is kind of happening in social media. There's these really complicated algorithms. People aren't particularly good at determining how these algorithms work. Machines, on the other hand, are awesome. So it's almost like if you can I don't know, reverse engineer these algorithms, you can reverse engineer the people that are, these algorithms are connected to and then influence those people. Have you ever had a conversation about something completely random and then like within a few hours an ad for that random thing shows up in your Facebook ads? Yeah, it's re retargeting. So, so um, you know, all that data, all, there's a fire hose in, in both Twitter and Facebook and things like that that allow you to do demographic profiling. I'm and talking like talking to a person, like in real life. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to me like three times in the last oh, month. No, that's, that's why I asked. I don't know. But, you know, hypothetically, I, I, I don't know of any technology that does this, but, but hypothetically, let's say Siri's listening on your conversation and uh, could pass that information. I sure as Heck, hope that that isn't happening, but uh, yeah, that's terrifying. Ruve Cohen likes chocolate. Yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, the other thing you could do is, is you know is you know in sort of character assassinations and stuff like that. You know, being the ability to find the weakest point in someone's existence to take advantage of to basically bring them down. It's just you know, there's so many terrifying uses of this technology. Oh, this just scared me. I'm hoping that good. I believe in the goodness of people. I think good things are coming for all of us. But it does present a lot of interesting opportunities, both for companies who use technology and company who companies who provide sort of you know security analytics, like all of these sort of back end operational things under the hood, uh, in order to to make money and to survive and to make sure that their reputations are intact, right? So yeah. I I think it's interesting.
you know, there's another shift happening, which is even more interesting. So you always hear about, you know, these, you know, mundane jobs going to, that are going to be replaced by, you know, bots and AI, you know, the truck driver being the kind of prime example. Uh, but what's interesting is there's been this shift towards creative, you know, creative pursuits, things like music and art and other things that are now being created by, by bots. So, you know, what's, what's worrisome is once this technology sort of, you know, gets embedded into the more creative side of the world, what does that mean for us? As a siren goes by. Yeah. Uh, did, did I set that off? No, that was an actual fire truck cruising okay. by my house. Uh, you were talking at, at Mobile World uh, Congress, I think. I was watching one of your videos, but you were talking about uh, NFV, too, and kind of what the state of NFV is. And I work at Cisco. Uh, who sponsors this amazing podcast, ding. Uh, <laughs> but I'd like to get your thoughts just on NFV in general. It seems like something that's been around for a while. It seems like something that doesn't have mass adoption. It seems like something that you know a bunch of different people have different opinions on, but why is it taking off as, as quickly as we thought it would? It's too complicated. You know, you know, from from a ten thousand foot level, you know, who wouldn't want a, a virtualized network? You know, you know, make make it easy, programmatic, you know, software orientated. All those things make sense. The challenge is, you know, keep it simple and stupid, right? And that simple and stupid hasn't really trickled down to the average deployment of these things. It's still complicated. The, the real question is, do people want traditional networks anymore? Do they want, do they care about these, you know, all these various layers? Do they just want something that just works, you know, and is secure? You know, is that layer seven? Maybe. Is it layer three? Uh, it's probably. Is it all of the above? Yep. So the, the question, I think, in terms of limited adoption is in the complexity. And the complexity is com it's complex for complexity's sake. It's almost like it needs to be complex so we can justify, and I'm not pointing out any vendor or, or anything, to justify the existence of some, some of these people who put that technology out there. So I don't know. So you think My there's like elements of self-preservation in not uh, transitioning to technologies that just work? Yeah, this just needs to work. You know, if you look at if you look at some of these uh, container platforms that have become popular over the last year or so, Kubernetes probably being the best example. They focus on all like I don't even know what the right you know adjective is, but super simple super simplicity. You know, you tag it, it just it, it magically works. You know, you don't need to get complicated. You know, you want simple. Simple. The, the complexity only adds you know the potential to in, in, introduce problems, whether it's a security exploit or some other, you know, problem that will be human indu you know, induced. Uh, it's interesting you bring up complexity because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of customers uh, and just to get kind of a feel of where they're at in terms of, you know, cloud and automation and everything else. And, you know, the one thing that I hear over and over and over again is that they just have too much stuff that's based on the old stuff to be able to make a clean break to newer stuff. Like they're so they've got so much technical debt and they've got so much invested in sort of these traditional technologies uh, yeah. that just simply moving from one to the other is not a good option for them. Well, sure. The, the, they said the same thing about mainframes and who's who's got a mainframe, right? They said this. You, there's always a reason why not to do something. I've got too much invested in the old way of doing it. I I, I own a horse whip factory. You know, I, there's no way I'm going to invest in 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 cars, right? It, it's you know there's always a reason you know and until there's a re there's no reason not to or or you're you're out of business you know I'm I'm sure there was a reason for BlackBerry not not to do the iPhone 
but they, you know, they missed the boat. Right. You know, there. So I would say just because you've always done it that way or you spent a lot of money doing it that way doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. So would you expect, let's say, like a large enterprise to completely re-architect their applications or a large telco to have to re-architect, you know, the amount of data, how the, how the data is traveling through their pipes and their network of pipes? It would be like, essentially, the way I think about it is, you know, infrastructure has been a big thing in the U.S., right, uh, yeah. on the on the campaign trail and now in, in real life, but our, our infrastructure is crumbling. And... Everybody knows we need new infrastructure, but it's such a complex and big task. Like you can't just blow up all the roads and start all over again. You know, you've got to like plan it out and map it out and make sure that you've got alternate routes and blah, 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 blah. Like at, at what point do you say, is it enough enough? Like, well, it, I, you know, there's not I, always I wanna... a transition, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, you know, any, any of your more right leaning listeners are going to probably call me out on this, but I'm going to say anyway, when it starts affecting kids in Flint, Michigan, that's when you do it before, hopefully, you know, so was it worth it to poison a whole generation of kids because you didn't want to spend, a, you know, a couple hundred million dollars fixing the water, you know, that that's, that's the, what we're looking at. The infrastructure is not infinite. It doesn't just last forever. It needs to right. be changed. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be updated. Whether that's some pipes with lead in them, a highway, a, tele, a, a telecom infrastructure, none of this stuff is going to stay, stay as it is today. It's all going to need to be upgraded. And the question is, do you do it today, tomorrow, or when the thing collapses? Or do you wait for a company to come in and build all new infrastructure and just flip the switch and move to that infrastructure, right? Or yes. that that provider or that option? I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected, you know, I know Uber is like the most overused kind of example of companies that are disruptive, but I don't think anyone expected, you know, Uber to be as disruptive as quickly as it was to the taxi industry, let's say. And the reason, let's beyond the fact they do some questionable tactics around management, what, why they were is, is the use of algorithms and, and the use of understanding the flow of things. Those things happen to be people in cars, but they applied you know, advanced you know, machine learning understanding to things that no one had ever really understood from that point of view and said, hey, we can optimize the logistics of this system through the use of advanced technologies. Now the question is how many other industries can, can we apply those types of advanced algorithms and understanding to and, and, and disrupt, revolutionize, whatever you want to say to them? My guess is just about all of them. I think there's huge amounts of inefficiency in just about every aspect of our society. And that doesn't just, is, that isn't just limited to, to you know, making money. That's in just about all aspects of it. That's, that's, you know, why do we get up in the morning and what do we live our life for type of stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I wonder a lot. I, I think a lot about the future. Uh, my whole MO is to look like I'm from the future, just so you know. <laughs> nice. uh, but, but I'm wondering, like, how different our kids' lives will work uh, than ours do presently. Like, you know, right now I walk in my house and I, you know, flip a light switch, you know, and I've got, you know, now the ability with smart lighting to do geofencing to where I can just walk in my house. It knows I'm home and it automatically turns the lights on for me. And yeah. I can imagine like walking from room to room and stuff just comes on as you need it. I mean, and that doesn't seem that far away. No, it's accelerating. So the, I think the fundamental challenge our children will have is, you know, is an existential one. What's the, what's the reason? What's the purpose of all this? Is it to get up and do a job and make money? 
Well, do you need to do that when there's you know any number of AI systems that could probably do that job a hundred or thousand or billion times better than you? You know, at that point, what 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 does what does it mean to be a human? What does it you mean? Fall, to you fall back on your digital art career, unless that's taken over by robots, in which place yeah, you might go to a cave and write on some walls. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that's that's the challenge, right? So what we're seeing is the first steps of that. We're seeing, you know, when you know my my kid get, getting on the phone when he has a question, he asks Siri. You know. That's that wouldn't have even existed, you know, before you know, for a few years ago. You know, the fact when he was born was the was the you know, he's probably the first generation that would never know what a smartphone wasn't, right? He, it's right. always been around, and the, the 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 integration of these technologies into their lives is is really interesting. And I, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but it's certainly going to change the way they interact and and perceive technology for sure. I just saw an ad. I think it was uh, attached to one of the articles that you may have tweeted. I think it was on Mashable, but it was about the new Honda uh, lawn Roomba. It basically, you plop it down in your yard. It has anti-theft stuff built in. You press a button and it mows your lawn. Yep. Uh, and I was like, man, like, wait, how much is that? And I started looking online. I realized there's a whole bunch of companies that make these. And then I realized that for what I pay my lawn guy in like four months, I could just get a robot to do it. And, true. and that's that is like uh that puts me in a conundrum. I'm like, man, like I think my lawn guy is about to get automated out of a job. And and I think about these industries, but I also see that there's people out there who are really investing in companies that have a good element of human support and service. Mm -hmm. Good friendly support. So, so there, you know, in in fifty years, there there'll be businesses that pride themselves on being, you know, human. You know, literally, it's like it'll it'll be like you know, nineteen eighty five again or something. You know, customers, you know, interact with real people. Come you know, to a bank and meet a real person. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god. You know, I'm sure there'll there'll be a point where it goes full circle. Um, but it's it'll it'll be interesting. It's for for sure. And there's gonna be a lot of change. You know, people talk about sort of the outsourcing of jobs to foreign countries and whatnot. I'm not worried about that. I'm out, I'm worried about the outsourcing of jobs to things that aren't human. Right. But in a way, doesn't that entail having jobs that are behind the scenes enabling these technologies? You know, like I see a need for tech, like to enable all the next generation. Like my kid needs STEM skills. He's going to have to learn STEM skills. Like. Well, okay, I don't want to be a pessimist because I don't want to say our kids are not going to have jobs or anything. But let's look at that for a sec. So let's say your kid becomes a programmer. You know, what's saying that a program can't be programmed by another program? You know, there, there's no reason for a human to do pro, you know, programming. And if you look at the, the advancements in programming today, most of the major advancements are happening in forms of automation, in terms of the things that programs create themselves when they need it. And it's only logical to think within, you know, probably not just not too far off, those programs will be creating other programs even better than themselves. At, the, at which point, do you need a human to do the programming at all? I would say no. And then I don't know. I think there's a human element. There needs to be human input just because I don't know. Maybe if there is like, you know, a mass scale of, of artificial, artificial intelligence that has emotional consciousness, then there's a. 
there's a series of companies that have come out that are doing, you know, em emotional intelligence based analytics. Um, you know, the, you know, I think the company's called Recitivity. And what this company does is they've got an, they've got an API that essentially will look at a a person and a series of things they write and understand their psychology and then be able to adapt based on that psychology. So I've, I've got a bot that I use from a company called zoom.ai and it tells me basically every morning what I'm going to do for the day. And not only does it tell me that I've got a meeting with Nikki at three o'clock, it also, it actually will do a psychological analysis and tell me how best I should interact with you. It's apparently according, according to this, it thinks you're an extrovert. Wasn't exactly. A, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't exactly a stretch. You got a podcast. Yeah, don't it, say. Yeah, you don't say. But but it, it gave me a whole slew of like overview of your psychologic. Yeah. You know, what what else does it say about me? I'm curious. Uh, it, you know, it says I should let you talk. You know, stuff like that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's 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 best to ask you a few personal anecdotes. You know, questions. You know, so it goes in. It gives me sort of an, an idea of how to interact. Obviously, I know you, so I I'm like, well, that's obvious. But imagine for someone you've never met before, and it gives you just a little bit of an edge when, when trying to sell a new deal. Or I've whatever. got a lot of podcast guests coming up that I've never met before. <laughs> so I might need to get me some Zoom AI. Full yeah. disclosure, you're an investor in Zoom AI. Oh, yeah, you did. You, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm an investor. I, I invest in a lot of AI things. I, I, AI is a hot space. I figured, hey, if I'm going to get replaced by AI, I might as well be the investor in Skynet. You know, I don't know. Yeah, put your put your chips down on red and black and green. You're yeah, gonna exactly. hit it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, not a not a bad gamble. So uh, we talked a lot about you know kind of the future, but presently, uh, what what new technologies are are you following? Like, what are some of the things that are coming to fruition that are like, yeah, good stuff. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I'm very intrigued by this, the accessibility of neural nets. So before, you know, TensorFlow and some other technologies came out, it was ridiculously hard to create smart things. That level of complexity is, is going away. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm now able to look at things and analyze things much more easily than I, than I think was possible in the past. So I'm really into, into sort of finding competitive advantage in areas that other people don't have competitive advantage in by doing that kind of analysis. So I think anything in a neural net space is, is particularly interesting. So using uh, neural nets to figure out what companies to invest in? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I use neural nets Which to figure out everything I do, whether it's investing in an ETF or, or you know, peer-to-peer peer -peer lending or, you know, the next up-and-coming, you know, companies to invest in. I just run it through, you know, any, the, the various, I actually, I, I like the one from Google, but there's several others out there as well that basically just pop a bunch of information. I put it in a, in a Google spreadsheet, you know, the information I have, and it basically will tell me the output. That is crazy awesome. I just happy to have ways when I'm trying to get my kid to school, you know? Yeah. <laughs> ways is awesome it, too. Yeah. I want ways for my life. That's cool. That's zoom.ai. Check it out. It's ways for your life. It, it, it'll, it'll help you navigate those things in life, right? It'll, it'll make suggestions. It'll, it'll tell you, you know, leave earlier, you know, don't forget about this. Don't forget about that. You know, all that kind of stuff. Wait, wait till it, it helps you keep your marriage on track. You know? Oh, my marriage is good. I don't need all that. Well, you know, me, I, I'm on the road half the time, so I might need a little. <laughs> <laughs> Send wife flowers, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah. It, yeah, it's it's smart to know that, that, that she prefers a purse or shoes or something. You know? Oh, know. really? Is it like going yeah. to her Facebook profile and uh, <laughs> checking out her stuff? It doesn't do that yet. I'm saying or, that, or going that's... to her Pinterest boards and seeing uh, what she's pinning. 
Oh yeah, right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's... lucky us. Well, that's not that there there are worse things that could come from AI. I know a, a few men in my life and women that could uh definitely be reminded of their anniversaries and birthdays and other things. So Oh man, does it makes me feel dumb. You know what's what's what I was thinking about why where we've been talking about this too is like, you know, I'm looking at like the the curriculum for my my kids in first grade and he comes home and he, you know, brings his homework home and it's really not that different than the homework I used to do. And I'm like wondering to myself because you were mentioning your, your kid has a question, your kid asks Siri. Like my kids have been asking Siri all kinds of stuff. Like I'm overhearing stuff that I shouldn't be hearing, right? Yeah. Or maybe I should be hearing and saying, hey, don't say that. Uh, but my kids are are asking in their own voice, hey, Siri, you know, X, Y, Z, and getting answers and finding web pages. And I'm like, man, you know, is it, should we be teaching our, our kids kind of like this this uh, Googleable knowledge? Should they be memorizing Texas history? It's, should they be I, learning about it? You know, that, what version should they be learning? So my my I, I've got a son in, in the second grade as well as one in the first, and so our sons our kids are around the same age, you know, and it's terrifying, right? It's like, I, I don't wanna go into the details of what they were looking at, but let's just say I, I stumbled into their room one day and they, they were asking series, questions that no six-year-old should be asking and it's like what in the world's going on here so then you know I'm in a position where I have to you know explain to them well that's not appropriate and you can't ask those sorts of things and then I'm trying to figure out how to lock this silly thing down so you know it, it that doesn't happen again but yeah it's, it's strange times we live in you know Meraki can help you with that ding oh, really? <laughs> no honestly so the co-founder of MetaCloud will be joined uh, and I think we get a pretty awesome discount with Meraki and I should probably order one because it looks really cool but you can actually uh, import these kind of block lists that are kept up to date that are open source that are out there and with like a click of a button import them into your Meraki and it'll by device you can actually set parameters on what your kids have access to and add to block list and uh, manage which device should get priority so if my kids are all streaming uh, and playing video games in their room and I can't download my magazines I can say hey give me priority and bump them down really really cool stuff but you were talking about ease of use and uh, that was one of the more impressive things. And I noticed that, that there have been some companies that have come out with specific devices that are aimed at kids' tablet use to monitor time, to monitor you know, websites. It's hard now because there's so many devices. Like You pretty much have to account for everything. Yeah, and there's a hand-me-down system here in this house. So you know, they, get, you know, they basically get my old phone minus the SIM card. And uh, you know, then I try to lock it down best I can. You know? But yeah, and it kind of trickles down to the youngest. I don't know about the, a four-year-old having the phone, so I've been sort of holding off giving it to her. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, you're right. So if, if it can if it can block Siri, then that would be awesome. And while we're on the uh, the, the, the self promotion, I, I I get a lot of uh, networking gear from various people who want me to try it. So I'm always happy to try it and let you know what I think. <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> I'll talk to my friends in Meraki. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It looks pretty cool. Uh, I've I've had friends that have installed it, and I just uh, haven't ordered it. You know, I'm not I'm not a networking geek. Like I can log into a router and screw everything up, uh, and reset it back to factory and start all over again. That's about as far as I can get. If there's a YouTube video, I can do it. But uh, Meraki looks pretty slick. Looks pretty easy. It does. It does look pretty nice. So, Ruve, we have talked about a lot today, but tell us, you and I. Uh, Thank you. Agreed to join a panel that I'm hosting at the Red Hat Summit in Boston in, in a few weeks. 
where else are you going to be? How can people get a hold of you? What should people follow? At Ruv, R-U-V. What yeah. else? Uh, well, yeah, I spend uh, way too much time on Twitter. Um, next week, yeah, Red Hat Summit in Boston. The week after that, the gracious folks at Dell invited me to, to uh, fly out to Vegas and spend some time with their crew. I hear there's like a Ferrari Lamborghini race. That should be interesting. And <laughs> rough life, I know. And after that, going to BlueCon. Which Sweet. Is, uh, yeah, pretty cool developer conference, I think, in just outside Denver. What's your favorite conference? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I got a favorite. I, I don't want you know, in terms of, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for like raw party capability, the, the part, the, the best one probably now is AWS. Um, you know, the, they get the, the biggest group of cloudy folks anywhere, you know, lots of parties. I, I, I like more, um, I like smaller, you know, more tech things. I've, I've been really liking the, the events that the cloud native foundation have been putting on recently. They've done a really good job. It's not too big. You know, really smart people, the, the right people. Obviously, Glucon's always a good one. Lots of smart developers that they go to those sorts of things. Again, I guess I, I guess for meeting people, smaller is better. Yeah, Oktoberfest is probably my favorite co conference. Oh, okay. I've, I've never been. I've heard good things though. Go. It's amazing, and they bring it with the food and the craft beer and the. It's amazing. It's a good one. Cool. Well, we look forward to seeing you. I know we talked about a lot of things today. Sometimes we're on topic and sometimes we're not, but we're always unfiltered. And you are probably one of the most unfiltered guests that I will have ever. So thanks for letting me pick your brain on a variety of random subjects, Ruve. Yeah, no problem, uh, Nikki. Thanks for uh, having me on today. I really, really appreciate it. And, and maybe next time I'll have you on, uh, on my podcast. Yes, I would love that. Folks, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Ruve at R-U-V. You also have a website. What's your website? Ruve.net? Yeah, Ruve.net. But most of the stuff I do these days is on Twitter. So that's, that's the place to be. Find you on the Twitters. You're, you're posting a ton of really uh, deep content, digital content, which is very entertaining. So thanks for that. Well, that concludes today's podcast. We've got some more guests coming up. So stay tuned for more. Ruve, say bye. Yeah.